What do you guys think of that? God's glory. I love that song. In, the, in that song, it says, words cannot describe God's glory. The whole thing's about God's glory. And when we were working on putting that video together, we've been talking about the glory of God the last couple weeks, and we've been talking about the incredible bigness of God and how he has this incredible ability to blow our mind with who he is. And yet, in spite of how big he is and how when we open our eyes to see him, there are so many times and so many days and so many situations where we fail to see God's glory. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Last week, Dustin talked about the weight of glory. He talked about seeing God's glory and feeling the weight of it through going through difficulties, through going through hard times and feeling the weight of God's glory. Tonight, I want to talk about God's glory in a little bit different view. Tonight, I want to talk to you about God's glory from the standpoint of a lot of different places in Scripture that talk about it. If you ever have some time on your hands and you would like to do a word study, I encourage you, look up the word glory. See how many thousands of times it's found in Scripture in so many different places and how many different times we read about it. But the one verse that we have that's a pivotal verse for us in this whole series is Romans 11:36, And it basically says that everything comes from God and it exists by his power and is intended for his glory. Everything is intended for God's glory. Everything. Everything is pretty complete, right? That means bad stuff as well as the good stuff. That means the days when I feel great and the days I, like, I feel like crap. All of it in between is intended for God's glory. How is that? Sometimes we have a hard time understanding how that can be. How many of you guys here have seen the movie Inception? Yeah? Have, have the rest of you guys heard of this movie Inception? Clap your hands if you've heard of the movie Inception. Okay. Well, my wife and I went and saw this movie, and I'll give you a really quick um, you know, synopsis of the movie. My wife loved it too, by the way. If you talk to Shauna, then she will tell you all of the storylines and all of the plots and twists and turns. Um, those of you that know us, she hated that movie, so that was a total joke. Um, but this movie is extremely complex. There are so many different plots that are going on simultaneously in this movie. And if you were to try to walk into the middle of this movie, like 10 minutes into it or 20 minutes into it, there is no way you would figure it out. There is no way you would be able to understand what is happening. And the reason is because you walked into the movie late, okay? I don't know about some of you guys, but that is like a big deal for me. It's like if I can't get to the movie at the beginning, I don't even want to waste my money because I got to see how the thing starts because in order for me to know the context of the movie and the story, I got to see the beginning, right? Do any of you pick up a book and go to the last page and read that first? I do sometimes. Just, But you don't know what the heck it's about. You just kind of know how it ends. But if you pick up a book and you jump into the middle of it or you pick it up and read the end, you're not gonna have the context that you need to be able to know what the heck is going on. My friends, you and I, we are living in the middle of God's story. We're living right in the middle of it. 
And yet sometimes it doesn't make sense. Right? Sometimes it does not make sense. If we open our Bibles tonight to the book of Matthew, I want to share with you a story. Matthew chapter 19. We're going to start reading in verse number 27. But before we start reading, I want to tell you what is happening in these guys' life this day. This is a big day for them. This is a day that's really crazy. This guy comes walking up to Jesus and he says, what do I got to do to be saved? What do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, keep all of the commandments. And the guy says to Jesus, I've done that. I've done them all since I was a child. And Jesus is like, okay. Then I want you to sell everything that you own, give it all away to the poor, and then come and follow after me. And then you'll have life. And the disciples are standing right next to this encounter, and the guy turns around and he walks away with his head down, sad. Because what Jesus gave him to do was so big that there's no way he could do it. And the guy felt the weight of it. And when he leaves, this is what the disciples say to Jesus. Peter answered Jesus and he said, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to the disciples, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when Jesus, the Son of Man, sits on his glorious throne, then you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He's talking to the disciples right now, and he says, and everyone, this is us, everyone who has left their houses or their brothers or sisters or their father or their mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and they will inherit eternal life. Jesus says these crazy words, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Jesus blows these guys' mind in this interaction with this guy. And their reaction and their response is probably the way that you and I would respond. Basically what Peter was saying is this isn't right. We have left everything to follow you, Jesus. We've given it all up. This is not right. What about us? How is this all gonna work? How is this all gonna make sense? What Peter was basically saying to Jesus is, Jesus, I don't know what's going on. And the context that I have right now feels like I've opened up the middle of the book and I've started reading on page number 50 and I don't know what is going on here. Jesus, will you help me understand what's going on? Because this doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem right. Jesus begins to unfold some things for them. And what he tells them in verse number 28 is revolutionary. He says these powerful words to them. He says, at the renewal of all things. Now you have to know that in their society and in their culture, they had a belief about civilization. 
They had a belief about the world. And the belief basically was that history was in this endless cycle of always repeating itself. Things would start and things would progress and then things would decline and then things would get really bad and then there would have to be some type of a purification process that would come into history and cleanse all of the garbage that had happened and then it would start over again. The cycle would just repeat itself. And in their day and age, this was the belief that happened. And the term that Jesus uses in this verse of scripture when he uses the word in the Greek for renewal of all things, he literally says that I have come not to repeat the cycle in your life, I've come to end the cycle once and for all. And he interjects into their mind a revolutionary idea, and this is where he introduces the idea of resurrection. This is where Jesus introduces this idea of I am going to take all bad, rotten, decaying things, and I'm going to make them new. I am not going to destroy the bad. I'm going to take the bad and redeem it. You guys know what he was talking about? He was talking about us. I don't know about you, but me, I'm not good. I'm bad. And Jesus came and he said, I'm gonna take you and instead of destroying you and giving you what you deserve, I am going to remake you. I'm gonna redeem you. I'm gonna restore you. I'm gonna pull out of bad good. They had never heard of this before. Jesus comes into this story that Peter is reading in the middle of the book and Jesus is just like, I don't know what's going on. All I know is that I'm following after this teacher and he says to follow him and I do it and I leave everything behind. And this other guy comes up and says, what do I got to do to get life? And he tells them to sell all his stuff and he goes away sad. I'm like, what's going on? And Jesus says, at the renewal of all things. My friends, that should fill our hearts with hope that it is not over yet. That should fill our hearts with hope that it is not, the story has not finished being told for you and me where we live right here, right now. You ever had a nightmare where in the dream or in the nightmare something horrific happens and it seems so real and you, when you wake up you have to really kind of gauge whether or not it was a dream or not. But I don't know about you, but I've had nightmares before where like something happened to one of my family members. And the next day, the next morning when I wake up, I have to hug them. I have to find them. I have such a renewed sense of appreciation for what I had lost in this nightmare and in this dream. In a strange sense, Jesus is saying to us tonight, do not get your eyes fixated on what is happening today in your life that's bad or that doesn't make sense because I am going to make it right. And when you awake from the dream, it's going to feel as if everything that is bad has been pulled off and made good. Jesus promises it to us. It's part of salvation. It is the resurrection. And Jesus says, I'm coming back for you. And when I do, 
all wrongs will be made right. In Romans chapter 8, let me read this to you. It says it like this. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, everything on earth was subjected to God's curse. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And even we Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, we also groan to be released from the pain and suffering. We too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as his children, including the new bodies that he has promised. Now that we are saved, we eagerly look forward to this freedom. Because if you already have something, then you don't need to hope for it. But we look forward to something we don't have yet. And we must wait patiently and confidently. I want to ask you a question tonight. And if, if you answer honestly, many of you will not be able to say yes. But the question I want to ask you is, can you see God's glory even in times of suffering and pain and loss? Can God's glory really be shown to us when hell is happening in our life? When the relationships are falling apart, when there is no money left to pay the bills, when addiction has reared its head and we've fallen to it again, is God's glory really able to be seen in that stuff? Because it's easy to see God's glory here, right? I mean, we worship, we play music, we open our hearts, we read scripture. These things make us become aware of God's glory and it's easy right here, but guys, we don't live here. Sometimes I think we wish we could, but God's glory can be seen even through your chaos, even through your doubting, even through your pain. God's glory can be seen. I've seen a ton of suffering lately. I've got a good friend of mine that his family member, his buddy, his brother is in the hospital in a coma right now, non-responsive from an accident. I've got another family that I know has recently been put out of their home. I've got another friend who just lost his job. I've got another friend whose daughter was just diagnosed with cancer. I've got another friend who thinks he may have cancer. I'm watching all of these situations all around me and I'm saying, God, can your glory, can it be seen even through the crap? Can your glory be seen even when the sun isn't shining? See, God's glory is seen and made present in our lives when we do one primary thing when we centralize ourselves around Jesus and his gospel, God is glorified. God is glorified when we centralize ourselves 
around Jesus and his gospel. In Luke chapter 13, I want to read you an interaction that Jesus is having with a group of people that he's teaching. And in the middle of his sermon, he receives some horrible news. This is what he hears. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate, who was the governor of their area, had murdered some people from Galilee as they were sacrificing at the temple in Jerusalem. Do you think, Jesus says, that those Galileans were worse sinners than other people from Galilee? Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will also perish unless you turn from your evil ways and turn to God. What about the 18 men who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again that unless you repent, you will also perish. And then Jesus used this illustration. A man planted a fig tree in, the, in his garden. And he came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years, and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's taking up space that we can use for something else. But the gardener answered, just give it one more chance. Leave it one more year. I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, then fine. If not, I'll cut it down. Jesus starts this time by hearing horrific news. Can you imagine going to church and having the police come in the middle of our service and execute you? That's what he heard. Jesus hears the news that people had gone to the temple to worship and they were executed on the spot. When you and I hear news like that, what's the first thing that we say? What's the first thing that society thinks? Where was God? Where was God? Why did God let such a bad thing happen to good people? They were at church. They weren't hurting anybody. Why did that have to happen? That is wrong. That is unjust. That is not supposed to happen that way, right? That's the way that we feel. That's the emotions that come out of us. In other words, if you and I are honest about ourselves, we pick up the middle of the book and we start reading on page number 50. And we say, why? This doesn't make any sense. We have to understand that in the middle of our life and in the middle of this situation, we do not see the beginning of the story and the end of the story. We only see our little perspective. And sometimes in the middle of God's story, it doesn't make sense. But as we push back from the table and as God begins to show his glory, you know what God's glory says? 
when we see it, he says, you can trust me. He says, I'm not gonna let injustice happen on my watch. God says, my glory shows you that the day is coming when we'll, this will be taken care of. My glory shows you that even though today you can't make sense of why your husband left or why your father abused you or why your wife, whatever, you can't make sense of it, but I'm God. And if you'll look at me, my glory tells you loud and clear that I'm big enough and I'm large enough and I'm strong enough that someday this will be made right in your life. And Jesus says these, to these guys in this story, I'm gonna give you a little perspective. You think that because these people were innocently slaughtered at church, that somehow, some way, that slipped through the cracks of God. Jesus says, let me tell you a story. God planted a tree, a fig tree, and he said, I want this tree to produce fruit. And then he said, Jesus, my son, I want you to go and I want you to take care of this tree and I want you to make sure it produces fruit. And for three years, there was no fruit to be found. And Jesus says, so my father, God, says to me, cut the tree down, I'm done. And I say, no, let me try again. Let me give it care. Let me fertilize it. Let me have more time with it. And Jesus says, you're so fixated on the injustice that was done that you're missing the point, which is your own heart. If you want to be upset, take a look at your heart. Is it in keeping with God? Is it in line with seeing God? Is your life in line with allowing God to demonstrate his glory? through you. In this story, there is one word that we need to look at tonight. Repentance. Repentance. This story screams to us. Our perspective is on the situation. Our perspective is on the wrongs that are happening all around us. But Jesus says to us loud and clear, your perspective needs to go right back to your heart and looking for God's glory. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life, many times in my life, where I have struggled to try to be okay with certain things that were happening around me. There have been times in my life where I have struggled with my perception of my life and of the circumstances in my life. And there have been times that I have fallen into a pity party where I feel sorry for myself. I feel like, God, how come? Why did this have to happen to me? What did I do? There have been times where I've gotten an attitude of arrogance towards God where I've just thought, you know what, God, you know, I'm, I'm good. I've got things taken care of. I've had all kinds of horrible, rotten attitudes with God. But the thing that God wants us to look at tonight that fills me with so much hope is that there is a day coming when everything will make sense, crystal clear.
to my limited mind. I will be able to see things as they are, not as I think they are. And that's big because I tend to make things twisted. Sometimes I tend to fabricate things in my own mind that aren't there. Sometimes I tend to exaggerate the truth or exaggerate the circumstances and God is saying, the day is gonna come when there will be a renewal of all things. And I'm gonna make all things new. And I'm gonna take your life and I'm gonna take your circumstances and it will not be wasted. I will make it all make sense. In 2 Peter chapter 3, I want to read something to you that could have been written yesterday and put in the newspaper because it is so pertinent to us and so perfectly timed, and yet this was written so long ago. In this letter, Peter says, first, I want to remind you that in the last days, there will be scoffers who will laugh at the truth and they will do every evil thing that they desire. And this will be their argument. Jesus promised to come back, did he? Well, then where is he? Why, as far back as anyone can remember, everything has remained exactly the same since the world was first created. I've heard that, I don't know about you. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command and God brought the earth up from the water and surrounded it with water and then he used the water to destroy the world with a mighty flood and God has also commanded that the heavens and the earth will be consumed by fire on the day of judgment when ungodly people will perish but you must not forget my dear friends that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years it's like a day. Listen to this verse. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He is being patient for our sake. He does not want anyone to perish, so he is giving more time to everyone to repent. I get in a hurry sometimes. How about you? I get in a hurry and I want things now. I want to understand now. You know what the thing is that God wants for us to understand now? Is that though God's glory will be revealed completely to us when he comes back. We get to get glimpses of it while we wait. Every single day of your life, every single moment of your life, you have two choices. You can either look at yourself and you can either turn inward and focus on your emotions and on your situation and how hard it is and how it's not gonna work and how I'll never get out of this one or you can turn your eyes to God and you can say, God, show me your glory. God, show me your glory in this. God, show me your glory in my pain. Show me your glory through the suffering that I'm going through. Show me your glory through the things that don't make sense to me right here, 
right now. God, I'm tired of reading the book and starting in the middle. I want to focus on you because it's the only way it's going to make sense. It's the only way I'm going to get context. It's the only way I'm going to know what is really going on. God's glory. It's everywhere. The very first verse that we read in Romans says that everything is here by his power and is intended to bring him glory. Your life is intended for God's glory. Your life is intended to reflect God. Your life and everything that you do with it is intended to make God known to the world around who has their head in the book and has no context to understand what is going on. We're gonna come together tonight to take communion. We do this every week and this is our time to come and connect with God. Before we do that tonight, I'm gonna have the band come on up and get ready to help us sing and open our hearts up. But before we take communion together tonight, I wanna take a moment, I wanna ask you a question. I want you to close your eyes and just look inward right now. Just look at your, just look at your life, just look at yourself, just look at your own situations. Just, this is between you and God right now. And the question that I wanna ask you right now is if you were to analyze your emotions and your condition of your heart right now, is it one that is full of hope or is it one that is full of worry and despair? All things being neutral, all things being still, are you full of hope or are you full of worry and despair and anxiety and stress? Because if you wanna see God's glory, that's where it starts, in the condition of your heart being open to him. As we come to these communion stations tonight, we find crackers that represent the broken body of Jesus. Scripture tells us we do this often to remember him and to remember the great sacrifice that he made for us and to remember the way that he gave us access to see the glory of God. And we dip it in the juice that represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for our sins. And when we look at this tonight, I want you to give it to God as an offering and say, God, where I am full of despair, fill me with your hope. We can come, we can take, we can give of our offerings to God, but go and find a place where you can get real with God. Go back to your seat, come up to the steps, find a place 
where nobody's gonna mess with you so that you can have a couple moments to talk to God about the condition of your heart tonight. And if you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with God and you want one, I'm gonna be sitting right over here. Come and just sit next to me when everybody's moving around and I'd love to share with you my story and the way that God has intersected in my life. Would you come?